Okay, now turn to the person next to you and say, Shalom Alechem. Okay, don't spit at them, but you do have to clear your throat. Chem. Shalom Alechem. Beautiful words. Words that Jesus used to greet his disciples as well. After the resurrection, he stood there in the midst of them. He said, Shalom Alechem. My peace I give to you. And it's great to be able to greet you this morning. Uh, what I also said earlier was, Beshem Yeshua HaMashiach. Everyone say, Beshem Yeshua HaMashiach. That's in the name of Jesus the Messiah. So uh, when you said Yeshua, you're saying Jesus' name in Hebrew. And uh, it has great meaning, of course. Jesus in Hebrew means God is salvation. Because that's the whole purpose of the Messiah. He was given that name. The angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Yeshua because he will come and save his people from their sins. So praise God that uh, he has come. And he's not only been the Savior for the Jewish people, really, but he's been and he is the Savior for the whole world. So it's great to be able to come and worship with you today. And it's a pleasure to come at this time of the year just before we're coming up to Passover time and Easter time. And so it's great for us to uh, focus our minds uh, on what the Lord has done for us at the cross. And um, as Pastor Andrew is saying, you know, to get to, to love Jesus more is, of course, the goal of all of us as believers in Jesus. And uh, for me, as a, a Jewish person who believes in Jesus, I think that uh, what I see is that um, Christians can often love Jesus very well in understanding His divinity, understanding that He is not just, uh, uh, well, God or the Son of God, not just um, Messiah, but Savior. But what we sometimes need to know more of is Jesus in His humanity. And in his humanity, Jesus came to this world as a Jew. He was born into a Jewish family. Uh, of course, his mother was Jewish. His father was God, but his earthly father was Jewish too, of course. Uh, and he, he came in his incarnation as a Jew to this world. So to love Jesus more, we need to get to understand what that means for us as well. Not only loving Jesus in his divinity, which of course is very important, but understanding and loving him in his uh, humanity. And uh, we at um, Celebrate Messiah believe that's part of what we can do as we share the gospel, not just with our Jewish people, but come into the, uh, the churches and share a bit more about the Jewishness of Jesus. We hope that you'll fall in love with Jesus more. Because uh, really, if, if I'm going to get to know Pastor Andrew a little bit more, I don't, I've only just met him recently. I'm not sure. Is that your wife next to you? Okay, you see, so... But it, to know Pastor Andrew a little bit more, I need to know uh, a little bit more about him. Where were you born? Right here, okay. <laughs> Where, you know, what about your parents and your family, your wife? And, and to get to know your uncles and your aunts, I mean, every time I'll get to know more of those details, I'll probably fall in love with Andrew even more. Uh, uh, you get to love him. He's a lovely guy. But um, to, to know a little bit of his family and his history and his uh, culture, a bit of the idiosyncrasies that he has and also that his family have, it's the same with Jesus. If you want to love Jesus more, you need to get to know not just Jesus, but find out a little bit more about his mom and dad, about his uncles and his aunts and his brothers and sisters and what are the strange things that they do. And one of the strange things that we do as Jews is this festival called Passover. And if you know a little bit more about all these different festivals and the strange foods that we eat and some of our uh, special celebrations, I hope that you love Jesus more and, uh, and uh, follow Him more in your life. So this morning, that's what I'm going to be sharing with you about. I'm going to share with you a, a, a meal 
Not that we're going to eat too much, but we're going to talk about the feast of the Passover, and we're going to find out a little bit more of how Jesus fulfills this festival of Passover in His death, burial, and resurrection, which of course is the whole message of Easter. The whole message of Easter is found in Passover as it was celebrated by the first church. Of course, the early church, uh, the, the very first early church didn't have anything called Easter. They celebrated the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at this Passover celebration every year because we as Jewish people have been doing this festival for almost 4,000 years because Passover looks back to that time when God delivered the Israelites out of bondage. Almost 4,000 years ago, we were slaves in Egypt, but God set us free. Then God told us that every year we need to celebrate this deliverance from slavery to freedom uh, by having a special meal. And some of this is uh, articulated in the Bible, but as, uh, as you know about Jewish people, we love traditions, so we've added a few traditions along the way as well. And Jesus celebrated some of those traditions as well as we shall see this morning. So I know that some of you might have seen a presentation like this. We've been coming to this church over uh, several years. Not, I haven't been here for a long time, so it's looking really good. And um, it's lovely to be back here again. So I work with a ministry called Celebrate Messiah, and we're missionaries to our Jewish people, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But let's begin. Uh, the, uh, the Passover Seder, it's called a Passover Seder, that's a Passover service, uh, by reading from the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Now Luke is quite an interesting fellow. He is the only non-Jewish person to write something for the Bible. All the other writers of the Bible were Jews. Now, there's a bit of a discussion about Luke. We know that he was a doctor, but was he a Greek doctor or a Jewish doctor? We know that he was um, Greek, but some people think that he was a Hellenized Jew that then became a follower of Jesus. One day we'll tap Luke on the shoulder when we see him and say, Luke, can you sort us out? We've been arguing about this on earth for 2,000 years. Are you Jewish or are you Greek? One day we'll find out, but uh, so far we think that he was Greek. And uh, all the other writers of the Bible were Jews, except for Luke, both the Old and New Testaments. And so it's an interesting gospel and also the book of Acts. And he writes uh, some wonderful truths about Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, we read of how Jesus set up the Last Supper, the Last Supper, which was Passover Seder. Verse 7 of Luke 22, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And verse 13, And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a seven-day festival that God commanded uh, the Israelites to keep. It's uh, hotly on the heels of the Feast of Passover. So the first two festivals of the Jewish calendar is the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus celebrated all these Jewish festivals, and of course, particularly the night before He was crucified, He celebrated the Passover with His disciples. He sent His disciples ahead of, ahead of Him to prepare for Passover. There's a lot of preparation that goes on for Passover because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so all leaven has to be removed from Jewish homes for Passover time. 
This is in fulfillment of a command of God in Exodus chapter 12, you shall get rid of all the yeast out of your house. So Jesus sent Peter and John to go ahead and prepare for the Passover meal. Now today in Judaism, the rabbis prefer to insist that the woman clean the house for six weeks prior to Passover. But biblically speaking, it probably should be the men. But we didn't like that idea very much. So we kind of follow the rabbinic way of doing things, and we let the women do all the cleaning. But we uh, do the final cleaning and take all the glory for it. And so <laughs> what happens is the night before Passover, the father comes home from work, and he takes up some unusual-looking cleaning tools. He takes up a feather and a wooden spoon and a white serviette, and he goes on what is called the betikat chametz, that is the search for the leaven. Where could the leaven be? The wife has hidden some crumbs of bread somewhere in the house. And it's up to the man to find those crumbs and do the final cleaning. And so where could it be? It could be up in the attic or it could be under the refrigerator. It could be anywhere in the house. It could be very difficult to discover the crumbs. But fortunately for him, his wife has been kind enough to hide the crumbs in exactly the same place as she did last year. And <laughs> probably the same as the year before that. It's just kind of role play and tradition. So he finds the crumbs and he sweeps them up with a feather into the wooden spoon. And that's because he's not allowed to touch those crumbs with his hands because it's, uh, it's contaminated. It's uh, leaven. Leaven in the Bible is often used as a symbol for sin. So he doesn't touch the crumbs. He just wraps them up with a white serviette and he takes this bundle of leaven. And so still today, Orthodox Jews will be doing this petikat chametz uh, and collecting the leaven and going down to the local synagogue. Then the synagogue... There's a large bonfire, and back where I come from, which is Caulfield, uh, we call it the Holy Land of Australia, where uh, there's about 45 synagogues all around us where we're doing our ministry there. Uh, the men will be gathering, gathering there with their bundles of leaven, and they throw their bundles into the flames in a courtyard of the synagogue. It'll be a bonfire. And then the father returns home, and he proudly proclaims to his whole family, I have purged my house of all leaven. But just to make sure that his wife hasn't been careless, he adds a short prayer. May all manner of leaven that I've neither seen nor removed be considered as null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. So that really is the cleansing of the house. Uh, and uh, as I said, it's a fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12. God said to get rid of the leaven. And this whole idea of getting rid of leaven out of your house goes all the way into the New Testament, of course. The Apostle Paul, he was a rabbi who became a believer in Jesus. And he told the Corinthians that before they take of the Lord's Supper, which comes out of the Passover celebration, that they too should get rid of all the leaven out of their lives, that we should examine our hearts before the Lord before we take of the Lord's Supper, lest we take in an unworthy manner. So that's where this whole thing comes from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, Paul said to the Corinthians that you should keep the feast, not with bread made with yeast, the bread of malice and wickedness, but you should keep the feast made with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So just as the Jewish home is prepared for the Passover by getting rid of the leaven, so we examine our hearts and uh, get rid of the leaven out of our lives before we take of the Lord's Supper. And so once the house is cleansed, we're ready for the Passover celebration. Now, the Israelites in Egypt were told to eat uh, the Passover with their uh, loins girded, with their sandals on their feet and their staves in their hands. They had to be ready to leave Egypt at a moment's notice. Uh, but today at Passover, we all recline, hence the pillow here on the chair. We recline 
at Passover time today because we are free people. Back in Egypt, we were slaves. Now we are free so we can recline. And as you read the Gospels, when Jesus uh, sat around the, the table, in fact, the Bible uh, specifically says he reclined with his disciples around the Passover table because we're celebrating our freedom. Now, the father of the house wears a special ceremonial garment at Passover time. He wears this white robe, which is called a kittel. White in Jewish tradition is the color for royalty. It was worn by the priests and the kings, according to Jewish tradition. And also, you probably noticed that Jewish men wear a special covering over their heads as a sign of respect before God. Well, that covering is called a yarmulke, and uh, it's all in white because uh, white as I said, is the colorful kings, and the father is like a king as he leads his family through a traditional Passover seder. Seder, I mentioned that word earlier, it means service or order. Passover follows a very specific order, and that order is found in this book called the Haggadah. Haggadah, that means the Talin. And this book tells the whole story of the exodus of the people of Israel, the Israelites out of Egypt, also, it uh, is, of course, embellished with uh, Jewish tradition as well. Now, by the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, there was a primitive version of this already being used for the telling of the story of Passover. Now, notice also how we Jewish people open the book at the front like that, whereas English starts off at the back of the book. <laughs> so, Hebrew's older, so we must be right about that. That's the front over there. All right, so... The Passover begins with the lighting of candles, and this is normally the duty of the woman of the house to light candles. And so I have some candles here, but no matches, so I won't light the candles. <laughs> but the candles are normally lit, and uh, it's a lovely tradition. This is only a tradition because there's no command in the Bible to light Passover candles. And uh, it's a tradition that women light candles for all the festivals on the eve of the festival. You know that in Jewish tradition, the day starts in the evening. So today, which is the, f the uh, first day of the week, actually, it began last night when the sun set. Uh, set. And so uh, when the sun sets, it's the beginning of a new day, and that's uh, when the Jewish women light candles for the festivals and also for the Sabbath Eve, which would be Friday evening. It's a lovely tradition as women bring light into the house, as my wife brings light to me as well. Uh, and so uh, it's a lovely tradition as we uh, remember uh, how also the Messiah came into the world through the seed of woman and by the will of God. Uh, and uh, he came into the world through, through the woman, really, through the woman, the virgin, and reminds us of that virgin birth prophecy that uh, Jesus fulfilled uh, through his birth. And so once the candles are lit, uh, we uh, then continue with the service. And uh, during the course of the evening, uh, at Passover time, we drink four cups of wine. There are four cups there. The, they're very specific about the four cups because the four cups correspond to four promises that God made to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 6. If you look at Exodus chapter 6, you'll see that there are four times that God says, I will redeem the Israelites. I will take them to be my own people. And there's four promises that God makes. So for each one of those promises, we have a cup. And each cup has a special name. The first cup is called the Kiddush cup, the cup of sanctification. And as you read the Gospels again, you'll see how Jesus took the cup at the beginning of the night. And this would have been the Kiddush cup, the cup of sanctification. And he blessed 
the fruit of the vine. This is an ancient prayer that we still use today. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And as Jesus blessed the fruit of the, the, the vine, he remember says that, uh, I won't take it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, but yet he takes one after supper. So there's four cups. The, the gospel specifically mentioned two of them, and so I'll explain them as we go. The first one is that first cup. Then the service truly begins, and not only are there four cups, but during the night of Passover, there are four special questions that children have to ask those of us who are, are the ones who can tell the story of Passover, the four questions are found in the Haggadah. And the questions are very important. You know that questions are important, generally. You really can learn a lot from questions, more so than answers. So we do need to make sure we ask the right questions. So the children ask the questions, why is this night different from all other nights of the year? And there's four special questions. The first one is, Why is this night different? So really, at Passover time, there's some unusual celebrations, leaning at the table, um, lighting candles, dressed in white, and all sorts of other unusual things. That, so the children ask, why is this night different? The Bible says to us that when our children ask, what is the meaning of Passover, we must explain to them. So we continue with the rest of the night as an explanation to the children and this is a great way to pass on the story. And this is how we've done it for 4,000 years. Every year we pass it on to the children. And they do it to their children and so forth. And so we tell the children, it is because of what the Lord has done for me. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, He has redeemed us out of Egypt. Redemption is the story of Passover and the theme of Passover. Redemption is to uh, be bought back from slavery, to be uh, for some price to be paid to redeem you, to win you back. And that's what God did for us uh, at the, the time of Passover. But Passover not only tells us God's message of, Passover, uh, of redemption, but also God's means of redemption. How did God bring redemption for the Israelites? It was through the blood of the Passover lambs in Egypt. The Israelites were told to take spotless lamb of God. A spotless lamb. They had to watch this lamb from the 10th day of the month to the 14th day to make sure it was perfect. They, then each family had to take the lamb, sacrifice that lamb, and with the, uh, with the hyssop plant, much like the parsley, they had to apply the blood to the doorposts of their houses. They painted their doorposts with blood. Why did they do that? Well, God commanded them to do that because uh, there was the 10th plague that was bef to befall Egypt. Every plague was terrifying, but the 10th was the worst. The 10th was the death of the firstborn. Now, because the Israelites painted their doorposts, death was forced to pass over those homes. And that's where we get the name Passover from, and we hope that the storm passes over soon as well. Passover. Everyone say the word Pesach. Okay, clear your throat at the word. Pesach. Okay, that's Passover in Hebrew. And this is the time when we celebrate the passing over of the angel of death over the houses of Israel because of the blood. Now, that was a mighty act of redemption. But also, it was a picture for us of a redemption that was still to come. Hundreds of years later, the death of another Passover lamb, the Messiah Jesus. 
For just as none of those bones or those first parts of lambs were broken in Egypt in fulfillment of prophecy, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death on the cross. Also, just as the Israelites took the blood and painted their doorposts of their houses, so we too believe in Jesus, we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. We receive what Jesus has done for us. We appropriate his, his sacrifice for us, and therefore we too pass over from death to life. We pass over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because of what Jesus has done for us. The New Testament clearly proclaims that Jesus is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us. And so our great Passover is when we come to faith in the Messiah and we then are redeemed and pass over into the kingdom of light. All right, so during the uh, course of the evening, as I said, there are four questions. The second question is, uh, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread in Hebrew is called matzah. One of the items I have on this table is called a matzah cover. Unleavened bread cover. Now already I've explained to you that leaven is a symbol of sin, so we don't eat it at Passover. But also the Bible tells us that the Israelites were in such a hurry to leave Egypt, we had no time to wait for bread to rise. So we eat unleavened bread. So one of the items is this cover on the table. The father takes out the middle layer of matzah. There are three layers here. It's intriguing tradition. Three layers in this pouch. Each one of them are separated by a piece of cloth. The father takes out the middle one. The middle one is removed. The father recites a special blessing for it and puts half down. The other half is given a special name. This is called afikumen. Afikumen. Can everyone try and say that word? Afi kumen. All right, that's a Greek word. So if you said it, that's a, a, a very ancient Greek word. And it's interesting why a Greek word would, which would be found in a Passover, which is all in Hebrew. And it's an intriguing tradition. The Greek word means he who comes later. And this is what happens with this Afi kumen. The father takes the piece of matzah, wraps, up, wraps it up in a white cloth, and then he buries this in the house somewhere. He hides it away. Nobody knows normally where that afikumen has been hidden. But later on, the children have to find that afikumen before the service can be completed. Now, that's an ingenious way to keep the children occupied until the end of the night. Because the child who finds it is given a gift for retrieving it. So that's uh, very, very clever. But there's much more to it than that. I'll explain later. There's a lot more symbolism there. All right, the next question is, why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs, and why do we dip our vegetables in salt water? Again, they're rather strange questions, so let me explain them to you by showing you this plate. This is a Passover plate or Seder plate, and on this special plate, we place symbolic foods in each one of these compartments. Each one of these foods are pictures for us of the story of redemption. They're object lessons that help us to explain the story. The first food is a kapas, which is the parsley, which I've already mentioned as well. The parsley, because it's green, represents life. And we eat the parsley dipped into salt water. Salt water represents the tears of the Israelites and also the, 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 uh, the sweat of the slaves in Egypt, so to speak. So we eat the parsley dipped into salt water to remind us that life without redemption is a life full of tears. Life without being saved is a life full of tears. The next food that we have uh, at Passover is also uh, the bitter root, 
Now we can use the onion or the horseradish root. Who's ever eaten horseradish? Not those little round radishes, the red ones. The horseradish root is a really gnarly looking root. If you grate that up and eat that, you know what happens to you? You land up crying. It's not something that you can help. It's a battle between uh, the horseradish and your sinuses. Also, when you cut up onion, you land up crying, don't you? The, the tears serve, at Passover time, the tears serve as a reminder of what it's like to be a slave. It's a life full of tears. So we have the bitter root to remind us of the bitter slavery in Egypt. Then there's a, a sweet mixture we eat at Passover time, and that's the, uh, the apple mixture. And we normally take apple and we add, uh, we grate it up, add honey nuts and cinnamon. This food is sweet, yet it represents a bitter toil, the making of bricks for Pharaoh. The Israelites were told to take the straw and uh, the, uh, the clay and they had to make bricks for Pharaoh to build all the cities for Pharaoh. I don't know, maybe we built all those pyramids. Uh, Jewish engineering, who knows? So <laughs> we don't really know, but we built a lot for Pharaoh. And he made it really hard because at one stage he took away the hay, so things became heavier. So we eat this to remember that bitter toil, yet it's sweet. And the rabbis give us an answer to that paradox. And they say that the bitterest of toil is made sweet with the promise of redemption. The Israelites actually were told uh, uh, before they went into slavery, God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, but I will bring them out. And so they knew there was this promise of redemption, and that made their lives sweet. As we live in this world today as well, we live in a world where there's a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of tears and bitterness. Yet, we as believers have a blessed hope, and that is the return of the Messiah. Jesus says, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make all things new. So we have this great blessing of this future redemption, and our lives can also be made sweet with that promise of future redemption and keeps us hanging on because we know that he's coming back. The next food we don't normally eat, it's uh, the zoroa, the shank bone of the lamb. That's because Passover is known as the feast of the Passover lamb, and in the time of the Bible and when the temple was still there in Jerusalem, we used to sacrifice the lambs and bring it home to eat. But we don't have a temple anymore. The temple was destroyed by Titus and the Roman armies in 70 AD, almost 2,000 years ago. There is no temple in Israel anymore, no temple in Jerusalem, no altar on which to make sacrifices. It's been destroyed. So we can't do sacrifices anymore, and that's a great lament and grief for the Jewish people. So we have this bone to remind us of the Passover lambs that used to be sacrificed. Also, we have another element that's been added to remember the destruction of the temple, and that is the egg. The egg is a symbol uh, normally of new life, but for us at Passover time, it's a symbol of mourning because we eat the egg dipped again in salt water. Salt water represents tears, that's right. We eat the egg dipped into salt water to shed tears over the destruction of the temple. And so again, we're reminded of the destruction of the temple. You can see that these elements were added after Jesus, the egg and the bone. And so there's a very important question for Judaism today, and that is, without a temple, how can we be forgiven for our sins? This applies to all of us, by the way, not just whether you're Jewish, or, uh, but anybody uh, on earth. The only way for forgiveness of sin was through the shedding of blood. God said that to Moses, 
in, Ex- in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of its life that makes atonement for one's soul. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And that law is a central law of the Bible. It goes all the way into the New Testament too. If you read the book of Hebrews, it tells us again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for our sins. That applies to everyone. And so there were some of the sacrifices that were made for forgiveness of the sins of the nation of Israel, but there were also sacrifices made in the temple that were for the forgiveness of sin for the nations. But there is now no temple. It was destroyed 2,000 years ago, so how can we all be forgiven? Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man called Yochanan Hamatbil. You might remember him better as John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist came, and he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, when his gaze fell upon another man coming down the hill, and John said of his cousin, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. He was speaking of Jesus, who was coming down to be baptized by uh, John the Baptist. And John recognized and knew that the Messiah would come to be the Lamb of God to die for the sins of the world, but not just to cover over the sins, to take away the sins of the world. So Jesus came in the fullness of time to complete the whole purpose of the sacrifices and the temple worship to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so we don't need a temple anymore. Jesus is our temple. We don't need sacrifices anymore. He is our final sacrifice for those of us who trust in His salvation and uh, believe that His blood was shed for us. So we now come to the second cup The second cup is the cup of plagues. Now, during the uh, uh, cup of plagues time, we we remember the ten plagues that were poured out upon the the Egyptians. Now, I've mentioned the death of the firstborn. What are some of the other plagues? Can you try and get them all? Let's see how how good you were at Sunday school. Lice, frogs, flies, blood, locusts. Boils, sorry, hail, darkness, we've had hail and darkness, had locusts, we've had frogs, how many times do you want to do all these plagues, (laughs) okay, cattle disease, we've had boils, and the tenth is the death of the firstborn, so you did pretty well. All right, so with each one of those ten plagues, you drop out a droplet of wine. You're emptying out your cup. A full cup represents joy, but we are not joyful when we remember the ten plagues because they were horrible plagues poured out upon the Egyptian people and uh, livestock, etc. And we don't rejoice. The Bible says, and God tells us, uh, uh, well, actually the the rabbis tell us that uh, we shouldn't rejoice over the destruction of any human being. So we mourn what happened to... Uh, the uh, Egyptians. After that, we normally come to eat the meal. Uh, But if you want to eat a Passover meal, you have to come and join us in the Holy Land. Uh, That is in uh, St. Kilda. Um, (laughs) It's part of the Holy Land. Let me explain something to you. Actually, I will explain something to you. In this area, why we call it the Holy Land of Australia is that there is actually a special designated area. And um, we uh, have some... uh, maps that you can have a look at 
that shows that around the areas of Caulfield and East St. Kilda and St. Kilda and a little bit of uh, El and Elwood and, and Brighton and East Brighton, a bit of Moorabbin, Carnegie, South, South Caulfield, etc. There's a, a line, there's actually a cable that the rabbis got permission to erect. And it's an unbroken cable that's been erected on the telephone wires. And because it surrounds this whole area, there's 45 kilometers of cable. And inside that unbroken line is a special religious area the rabbis call an Eruv. An Eruv. Now, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you want to live in this Eruv because you're given certain leniencies for the Sabbath laws. Now, the Jewish Sabbath laws are very on onerous in actual fact. You can't walk too far. You can't carry heavy objects. You can't do work. If you're a woman pushing a pram, you're not really allowed to do that on the Sabbath. It's too much work. But if you live in this Eruv, you're allowed to do it. So, it's very good uh, for Jewish tradition. Of course, I mean, everybody wants to live in this area. All the real estate prices go way over the top. But for us as missionaries, this is where we're working in this Eruv. 45 synagogues, 75,000 Jewish people. And so, uh, you're very welcome to come and join us. I do actually mean that. There's a Passover that we're doing at the, on Easter weekend, the 31st of March, if you want to come and join us for a celebration of Passover uh, um, in St. Kilda Town Hall, uh, please come and uh, or get on our website or use this form to have a look at it. Uh, but we are doing ministry amongst Jewish people there, and also we work amongst Jewish people in New Zealand. Yeah, there are Jews even in New Zealand, but more than that, there's a lot of Israelis that travel around New Zealand. We're reaching out to Israeli backpackers. It's a very exciting and a very wonderful ministry uh, to reach out to Israeli backpackers. You could do that here in Kolak. You just want to think about this. Uh, there's, what happens is that every year, Isra young Israelis you know, have to go to the army, men and women, and afterwards they want to get out of Israel. They go to India, they go to Asia, they go to New Zealand, and they come to Australia. And in New Zealand, we have two campgrounds that host Israelis, and we use that as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We've got young Israeli believers that come for three months, four months over the summer that witness to, to the other Israeli backpackers. Then they come to Australia, and they travel around Australia. This, of course, they come to Melbourne. Then everyone gets onto the Great Ocean Road, to come down to the Great Ocean Road and uh, uh, through here, and of course, to Warrnambool, etc. If you ever wanted to reach out to Israelis, to have Israel in your home, it's an exciting ministry because they, uh, there's a network of Christians that host Israelis. So you can join that network, and we can help you to do that. Then you'll have these Israelis come. They're young people. They, they're just open-hearted uh, very fine and uh, wonderful people, and you get to share love with them and uh, share the Messiah with them and uh, get to understand a little bit more about Israelis. And uh, they'll be on their way uh, you know, a night or two with you, and, uh, but you can put a deposit of the gospel into their lives. So it's an exciting ministry, and many Israelis have come to faith in Jesus this way. They go back to Israel, and they then swell up the numbers of believers in Israel. So it's a fantastic ministry. Uh, we also work in Russia. I'm going to Russia after Passover, after Easter, to continue our work amongst very uh, remote and forgotten Jews in the far eastern blocks of Russia. Our next newsletter has some information about that. And then, of course, Israel, the real Holy Land. We do a lot of ministry there uh, and a very exciting work in Israel today. So I would like you to get a newsletter from us. Some of you might get that, but maybe not. I have this clipboard 
And with uh, Pastor Andrew's permission, I'd like to ask you to come and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, it's a physical newsletter, but we can also send email, prayer updates, etc. So put your physical address and email address, and we'd really love to send you a newsletter. That's the best way that you could support us, is to pray for us. And I pray that Jewish people have their hearts open to Jesus. All right, let me continue now. I have some other things there, books and all sorts of things uh, on the table. All right. Let me continue. So, we've just finished the meal. And it's a, coming to uh, the first thing that happens after the meal. Normally, in Jewish tradition, by the way, we give, say grace. We say thanks to God after we eat. So, um, the Bible actually says that when you enter the promised land and you eat of its goodness, do not forget to give thanks to God. So, we, we give thanks afterwards. And uh, then, the first thing that happens is uh, the taking of the third cup of the night. The third cup is the cup of redemption. Then before we drink this, early on something was broken, was buried, and then has to be found and brought back. Does anyone remember that piece of matzah was called? Afikuman. Well done, you got it right. The Afikuman. Now this is the exciting time for the kids. Uh, the one who is, uh, finds it, is given a gift for retrieving it. My kids love money as a gift. And so they tear the house apart looking for the afikuman. The one who finds it is uh, given some money. And then the father takes the afikuman, breaks it up into little pieces. Everybody at the table gets a piece of the afikuman. And then after that, the third cup is drunk. Does this look familiar? This, I believe, is the origin of our communion service. So we look at the communion service. It comes from this little section of Passover. The broken piece of matzah and the cup after supper. Paul really speci specifies. After supper, he took the cup. And that cup is redemption, the cup of redemption. But before we talk about that, let's just remind ourselves about matzah. Matzah is unleavened bread. Leaven is a symbol of sin. So the unleavened bread really is a spiritual symbol for us of a sinless nature. That speaks to us of the Messiah. The Messiah was sinless. The prophet Isaiah said about the Messiah, there was no deceit found in his mouth, nor had he done any violence. Isaiah chapter 53 is the chapter that brought me to faith in Jesus. There's some wonderful prophecies within that chapter. Also it says in, uh, in that chapter about the Messiah is that he'll be an offering for our sins. To be an offering, you had to be perfect. Just like the lamb, the Passover lamb had to be perfect. The Messiah had to be perfect. You know that 2,000 years ago, there were many people being crucified. Not just those three people on the hill of Gol Golgotha. There were many being crucified by the Romans. Why would the death of this one man, Jesus, make a difference? Because he was sinless. He was the Holy One of God. So his death brought forgiveness of sin for others. And so, as believers, we look at this matzah and see Jesus, see the gospel pictured in this uh, piece of matzah, sinless nature of the Messiah. But also, you look closely at the matzah, you can see that it's got a lot of holes in the matzah, and also it's got these stripes that run down. This happens quite naturally when you bake it and people make the holes to stop it from bubbling. But again, it's an object lesson for us. As believers, we look at the matzah, and we can see the gospel once again. The prophet Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was pierced in his hands and feet and his side. And by his stripes, we are healed. 
And so it's a wonderful picture of the message of the gospel. Jesus took upon himself our sins. He was sinless, but he took upon himself our sins. He was crushed and pierced for our transgressions, not his own. I'm sure the Apostle Paul was thinking about this when he wrote to the Corinthians once again. He said, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are in the Messiah, the righteousness of God. None of us deserve that. That's God's grace. And we can see this all pictured in the matzah. But also remember there were three layers in that pouch. The rabbis say, well, the three layers represent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Other rabbis say, no, it represents the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites. But we say, no, the three layers represents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why do we take out that middle layer, break it, bury it, and later it comes back? The rabbis just say it's tradition. But we say, no, it speaks of Jesus the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity who was revealed to us. He was made manifest, made flesh, while the other two remain hidden from our view, the other two persons of the Godhead. Why do we take the matzah, break it and wrap it up in a white cloth and then bury it? Well, of course, we can see how Jesus was taken off the cross. The Gospel of John, we read that he was taken off the cross. He was wrapped up in white linen according to Jewish burial customs. He was buried in the tomb, but death could not hold him down. Early on the third day, he rose from the dead and came back, just like this tradition of the Afrikoman, which is retrieved and it's redeemed from the children. And so we can see the gospel in the piece of matzah and in the cover as well. But then the third cup, the cup of redemption. Jesus took this cup, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The new covenant. You know that the new covenant is another way of saying the New Testament. The new covenant didn't just come out of the pages of the New Testament. The new covenant was already prophesied Hundreds of years before, through the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, God said to the prophet, The days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the Jewish people. He said, It'll be different to the covenant I made with them when I took them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. This is the new covenant I make with them. I'll write my laws in their hearts and in their minds. They shall be my people, I shall be their God. That's the new covenant Jesus was inaugurating as he sat around that table with his disciples. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Note that all the disciples were Jews. And, the, and Paul picks up on this. He says, the gospel is the power of God for all who believe to the Jew first, but then also to the Gentiles, to all the other nations. And that's the good news of the gospel is that it's for all of us, not just for Jewish people, but for everyone who comes to faith in Israel's Messiah. Jesus. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood, where I will remember their sins no more. And so Jesus takes the bread and says, this is my body given for you, my sinless body. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup and he reminds us that it's the new covenant that is uh, in his blood that is shed for us. And so all of us now have been made part of the new covenant people of God through faith in the Messiah. And that's good news. There's a fourth cup. Cup of hallelujah. The cup of halal. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. This is a cup of halal, a cup of praise. And it's actually uh, very fitting that after we've experienced redemption, well, then we praise. We worship God. And uh, we sing Psalms 113 to 118. 
beautiful psalms of praise. Then there's this final cup here, which I'll tell you about, the cup of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet was a prophet um, that, of course, was taken up to God uh, in a chariot, a good way to go. He never really died. He was just taken right up in a fiery chariot. Because of that, there's always this concept that he'll come back again. So the prophet Malachi says that, the pro the, that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That is to believe that the Elijah will come in preparation for the Messiah. So every year at Passover time, Jewish families leave a special place setting left untouched, a cup, and normally a chair, a knife and fork for Elijah, and even a special ceremony of going to open the front door of the house, hoping that Elijah will be there. A special song is sung, welcoming Elijah to come into the home and to bring with him the Messiah. So you can imagine Jewish people doing this ritual every year for hundreds of years, even through some of the most terrible times of persecution and difficulties. And Lord, may Elijah come this year and bring with the, him the Messiah. But every year he doesn't appear because 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke about the prophet John the Baptist, what did Jesus say about John? He said he is the Elijah who was to come. John the Baptist came in the ministry of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah, and so did Messiah come already 2,000 years ago. So that's what we are really wanting to let our people know. Messiah has already come. And to anyone who's received him, he has given us the right to become the children of God. And yes, we know that Elijah may come again, the book of Revelation says, but he's already come in preparation for the Messiah, and we can receive him now. And what a privilege it is to know him to have our sins forgiven, to have the promise of eternal life. And uh, we want our Jewish people to know that as well. So please pray for us. And may the Lord bless you as you uh, celebrate the Lord, uh, Lord's Supper again, as we did today, and also as you come to the Easter period in a couple of weeks' time. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you for uh, today, for a new life that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the baptism. It speaks of all that you have done for us, cleansing of our sin, filling us with the Holy Spirit, giving us a new life with you, new creatures that we are. Lord, thank you for the Passover, that uh, it represents also new life, that we've been redeemed from slavery so we can serve the living God. Lord, thank you that you've opened up our eyes, and we pray that this year, even at Passover time, more Jewish people around the world will see the truths of the Messiah in the Passover. So Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. Bless us and empower us with your spirit to be your witnesses in this world. We ask B'Shem Yeshua in the name of Jesus. Amen.